tomorrow is May the 29th, 2023. If my mother was still alive, tomorrow would be her 92nd birthday. But tomorrow is the day that is set aside to observe what we are pleased to call Memorial Day in our land. It's a day that has been set aside to honor those who gave their lives in the service of our great nation. Those who paid with their own blood that we might remain a free land. It's an important day. It's a time to remember. It's a time to remember those who were willing to risk their lives and lose their lives for our freedom. Those who fought on foreign soil in wars throughout the years. World War I, at the time it ended, was referred to as the war to end all wars. And yet a hundred years plus since that war has told a very different story. Because after that war to end all wars was World War II, and then there was Korea, and then there was Vietnam, and then there was Desert Storm, and then there's Iraq, and then there's Afghanistan, and all the other actions in between. But on an afternoon in early summer of the war to end all wars, the battlefield was strangely quiet. In the bright sunshine, the air was balmy, and there was the breath of a garden in it. And by some grotesque miracle on the battlefield, a bird was singing somewhere near. On his firing step, rifle lying in a groove in the parapet, stood a private soldier. He was wearing a uniform of field gray stained with mud and blood. On his face, so young and yet so strangely marked with the lines of war that made him look old, there was a wistful, faraway expression. He was enjoying the sunshine. He was enjoying the strange lull in the firing. The heavy guns had been silent. There was no sound to break the eerie stillness of the battlefield. And suddenly, a butterfly fluttered into view. And the butterfly alighted on the ground at the end of his rifle. It was a strange visitor to a battleground so out of place so out of keeping with the grim setting a setting of rifles and bayonets barbed wire and parapets shell holes and twisted mangled bodies but there it was a gorgeous creature with wings like gold leaf, swaying there in the warm breath of spring. 
And as that war-weary youngster watched the butterfly, he was no longer a private in field gray. He was a boy once more, fresh and clean, swinging through a field in sunny Saxony. He was once again knee-deep in clover and buttercups and daisies. The strange visitor to the front-line trench recalled to him the days of his boyhood, a time that he had collected butterflies. It spoke to him of days of peace, a symbol of the lovelier things in life. It was the emblem of the eternal. A reminder there was still beauty, there was still peace in the world. That somewhere there was color, fragility, perfume, and flowers. He forgot the enemy a few hundred yards across no man's land. He forgot the danger. He forgot the privation. He forgot the suffering. He forgot everything as he watched that butterfly with all the hunger in his heart. With the resurrection of dreams and visions he thought were gone, he reached out his hand toward that butterfly. And his fingers moved slowly, cautiously, lest he frighten away this strange visitor to the battlefield. But, in showing one kind of caution, he forgot another. The butterfly was just beyond his reach. So he stretched. He stretched forgetting that there were watchful eyes looking for a target. And he brought him himself out slowly with infinite care and with patience. And he had just a little distance to go. And just as he reached out, and a sniper's bullet found its mark. The stretching fingers relaxed. The hand dropped flat on the ground. And for the private soldier in field gray, the war was over. An official bulletin that afternoon said that all was quiet on the Western Front. And for a boy in field gray, it was a quiet that no guns would ever break. All of that story comes from a novel written in 1928. A novel entitled, All Quiet on the Western Front. It makes clear the common soldier's reaction to shellfire, hunger, fear, sickness, and danger. But beloved, that brief excerpt from that novel teaches us a valuable lesson in 2023. There is always a risk when you reach for the better things in life.
Reaching for the better things and reaching for the lovelier things, reaching for the finer things in life, involves a risk. And friends, it is a risk you and I cannot escape. And yet, it is that risk that makes the Christian life exciting. In our day and time, there are so many people abnormally afraid of risking something. They're afflicted with a modern disease. The psychiatrists have a lot of heavy, important-sounding names for the sundry phobias that affect us as humans. Agoraphobia. That's fear of open spaces. In contrast to that is claustrophobia, which is a fear of being shut in. And acrophobia is the fear of heights. There are many people who are afraid to climb. Many people who are afraid to go to the heights and will not leave the ground. They won't get up on the roof of a building or in a tower or on a mountain. To be up on any elevation and look down makes them dizzy. It strikes terror and fear into their hearts. They're afraid of that which is high. They have acrophobia. But, acrophobia is not only the fear of high monuments or high mountains or high buildings. It can also be a fear of high ideals, high thoughts, and high ambitions. There are timid souls who avoid high places because they are afraid. There are other timid souls who avoid high ideals because they're content with low ones. There are people who are, do not have high ambitions because they're lazy. Our text this morning comes from Psalms 107, verses 23 and 24. And it speaks to the idea of risk. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in the great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. They that go down to the sea in ships. You see, the Jews were not a seafaring people. They actually dreaded the sea. And to them it was something menacing and something mysterious. And to the Jew, to be a, or become a voyager on the sea was the supreme risk. It meant goodbye to home and loved ones. It meant goodbye to familiar scenes and familiar friends. It meant giving up the worship of the synagogue and in the temple. It meant homesickness. 
seasickness, and perhaps death among the crawling things at the bottom of the sea. Maybe that's why John would write in Revelation those comforting words, there was no more sea. But what the psalmist is saying here, when he talks about those who go down to the sea in ships, the psalmist is saying that to win anything worth winning, we must risk something. And not only that, but as a rule, the less we venture, the less our hopes of winning. And the more we dare, the greater our returns. There is a sense in which each and every one of us are gamblers. Now we may not go to the boats and we may not play the lottery and we may not shoot dice with anybody in a back alley somewhere. But all of us are having to make a bet one way or another every day. In fact, that's actually what is the one thing that keeps life interesting. It's a risk for you and me to have been born. And that was a risk that I wasn't consulted about it, and I don't think you were either. I know some people that if they had been consulted about whether or not to have been born, they wouldn't have made the venture. And I'm also persuaded that over the brief years of my life, I've known a number of people that if it was left to them to decide whether to be born a man or a woman or one of the lower orders of God's creation, they might have chosen the latter. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever given that into consideration? What would you choose? I think you can make a strong argument on about whether risking the high road or taking the lower road, I, I think you can make a strong argument on both sides of the equation. I, I mean, you think about my cats. And you think about the kind of life that my cats have. Their bowl of food is always full. They don't even have to go meow to get the food. The bowl of food is always full. The bowl of water is always full. They have a good, warm, dry, safe place to sleep. And those cats have absolutely no risk in their life whatsoever. As long as they stay off Norma's kitchen cabinet and stay away from Norma's living room furniture. They get on her kitchen cabinet or they get on her living room furniture and the odds are real good that those cats might meet their maker. But they have a great life. And all their needs are supplied. There's a lot that could be said against the adventure of being born human. I actually heard of a man one time who cried, Oh wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me? And another great saint one time was heard to wail, Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Then there was another man of God who stood in the very presence of death and 
and stared death in the face and pitifully questioned, if a man die, shall he live again? But I want you to look at the outcome of those men. A bit later, Paul was shouting, I thank God through Jesus Christ. David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And Job could be heard to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Living involves risk. Being a Christian involves risk. Jesus actually took a risk on the cross. He went to that rough-hewn wooden cross on Calvary's hill and gave up His life for sinful men and women like me and you. Because Jesus believed that sinful men and women in spite of their sin, people like us, Jesus believed we were capable of being saved. Jesus believed that the world, in spite of its terrible evils, could actually be made into a new world. Jesus Christ actually staked His all on that one fact. Have you ever thought about some that have staked their all on the value of self-seeking. Some have won fame and fortune, but on the whole, they found life to be quite disappointing. You remember a rich farmer we read about in Luke 12? His barns were filled to overflowing. Jesus had the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he asked, what shall I do? I have no room wherewith to bestow all of my goods. I know. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build greater barns. And I'll say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That farmer in Luke 12 staked everything on the faith that he should look after himself. And guess what? He lost. While his barns were bursting, he led a starved life. God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and who shall all these things be which thou possessest? He left this life with pockets as empty as the pockets of a shroud. And moreover, God referred to him as a fool. When you see those who are worn, tired, restless, fed up you'll find those who believe that life's biggest business is to look out for number one then you see those who have been mad enough those who were crazy enough to stake everything on God and you'll find that these and these alone are the winners. Centuries ago, there was a man named Abraham. 
And Abraham was gripped by conviction that God wanted him to leave his homeland and go to an unknown land. It was a mad adventure to be sure, but he went. And for long years it looked like Abraham was going to have nothing in his life but disappointment. But he never gave up. He never quit. He never turned back. He dared to reach for the promises of God. And he came to be known as the friend of God. He came to be a blessing to his own generation. And succeeding generations. Or think about that man that was once the greatest persecutor the church had ever known. That man named Saul who was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. That man named Saul who held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen. He became the Apostle Paul. And he was constantly pleading with first century Christians to set their affections on things above. Think about what he wrote to the church at Philippi. A church that was near and dear to his heart. A church he had established. It's in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 of that letter. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind. And reaching forth to those things that are before, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wanted people to set their affections on high things. He wanted people to set their affections on lofty concepts. But sometimes we find that so difficult, don't we? We find it so hard to transfer our affections to the higher things in life. To the more lofty concepts of life. I remember as a boy... Growing up in Marshall, Texas, we had a Sears store that was three stories tall. And if you're a small boy, and your grandmother works in the catalog department of a three-story Sears store, and she gets an employee discount, and she gets a copy of the wish book two or three weeks before they get mailed out to everybody else, and when somebody doesn't like something and they return it to the catalog department, she can almost buy it for nothing. I want to tell you something. If you're a small boy, life doesn't get much better than that. But I remember every year on the Friday after Thanksgiving, if you walked up the stairs to the third floor and turned to the right, there was this big room that was closed all year except for December. And there was a big sign above the double doors going into that room and it was called Toyland. And it always opened the day after Thanksgiving. And the newest Lionel train was there making big circles around the room. And every toy in the wish book was on display. And oh, what a treat it was to go to Toyland. You see, that's part of our problem today. Part of our problem today is that most of us, as adults, 
have fallen in love with the toy land of this world. The playthings of life have become so near and so dear to us and so much more valuable to us than the things of God. We've got to set our affections on the things above. It's difficult sometimes for us to really believe the truth. To really believe that this life is just a preparation for a greater, more glorious, more wonderful life that's going to come. What we must do is once and for all, Fix our hearts and our minds that the purpose of life here is not to enjoy ourselves and have a good time. We've got to put that out of our mind. That's not what life is all about. And what we must do is we must, as Paul said, Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching for the things that are before. I press toward the price for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We've got to reach out. Grasp hold on the things of God. The higher things of life. We must not be afraid of the risk of reaching for those higher things greater, more nobler things. But here's the question. What's going on in your world right now, this morning? Maybe you've never reached out to the things of God and you've never become a Christian. Or maybe you did once upon a time, but through the years, God hasn't really been that important to you. Are you willing to actually reach out to God this morning? Are you willing to reach out and make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? If Jesus is not Lord and Master of all of your life this morning, wait for it. He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. Do you need to make changes? Do you need to do something different for Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Master of all of your life? Can we help you make those changes? This is your opportunity to come and let us do that as together we stand and while we sing.